Hi, it's Ms. Okada, and this podcast is episode two of season two. This will be a year-long series where I will be reviewing books that I read in 2021. Why? Because I set a goal for the year 2021 to read at least 12 books. I might as well put my thoughts of the books into words. Keep in mind, there are spoilers in these episodes. So if you are planning on reading these books I've listed in the description, I would skip this episode. Today, I am going to review the books I read for the month of February. The Complete Short Stories, Volume 2, 1954-1988 by Roald Dahl, Five Little Indians by Michelle Good, and Fated for Felony by Victoria Laurie. The Complete Short Stories, Volume 2 by Roald Dahl is a collection of 28 adult short stories in the second half of the author's life. Does anyone else have problems with separating art from artists? I do. But before I get to that, let me tell you about this book. I was first drawn to Roald Dahl because of a short story I had read from him years ago that was macabre yet fascinating in its theme in the human psyche. I mean, I love the children's classics like James and the Giant Peach and Matilda when I was young, but when I discovered his short stories as an adult, I was really drawn into his imagination and strange adult-themed stories. Certainly, these were similar in style from his books for children, but the themes were more dark and sinister. And as a new movie about Roald Dahl and his wife, Patricia Neal, to Olivia, is expected to be released this year, I thought I'd get a collection of short stories to read and perhaps use it in a unit that I'm curating to teach based on the theme, Human Condition. So I ordered both the first and second volume. But unfortunately, the first volume was backordered. It wouldn't get to me until later in the month. I knew that the second half of his life, the second volume collection stories would be much darker than the first. I wasn't necessarily looking forward to the second volume, but I needed to order both volumes just in case the short story I was looking for was in the second volume. Anyway, this collection's stories were all new to me, and boy did they take me on a journey. They were filled with macabre endings for characters, and I quickly learned his writing style. They usually entailed a long overture of a character development or setting development, which then quickly dissolved into chaos and a tricky end. It reminded me a lot of O. Henry stories, except these were twisted and quite disturbing. They made me laugh out loud in some like The Way Up to Heaven and Parson's Pleasure, and they made me shudder with disgust in many like The Landlady and Royal Jelly. Some made me downright angry, like The Swan and The Boy Who Talked with Animals, but the writing style made me want to read the next and the next and the next. Lines like, she is a suspicious person, my mother. She is especially suspicious of two things, strange men and boiled eggs, are magnificent storytelling with expertise in descriptive narratives. Don't get me wrong, with 28 short stories, there were a few that I really hated, and they really disgusted me. In fact, there were a few days of reading that I just loathed the stories. But in the middle of reading, oh, about page 400 or so, I had a hard time continuing on. 
but at this point I had read through half the book. Remember how I asked in the beginning of this whether anyone else has problems with separating art from artists? This is about the point in which I Google searched Roald Dahl and came across some very anti-Semitic quotes from him that absolutely made me angry. No matter the fact that the family has now released statements condemning Roald Dahl's quotes and apologizing for his anti-Semitism, it for me at least tainted his art, his literary works. Side note, I've always had a problem with separating the art from the artist. That's why I don't own any Seuss and I refuse to read them to my son today. I mean, he'll eventually discover them in school, I'm sure. And when he does discover them, I will tell him this history of the man and the truth behind his works, including his atonement. That's also why I have a hard time with certain musical artists and their music. Even if it's catchy, I just stop listening and singing them. I don't know. I just couldn't continue reading the stories without thinking about the man behind the art. So I put the book aside for a bit and I let it sit for a few days. But in the end, after reading the family's apologies and doing some research, I decided that it, the collection of short stories, was something I started and darn it all, I was going to finish it for the sake of the art. And I did. Will I now read the first volume? I probably will. His writing style is really unique and would be of higher interest to high school students that I teach. Remember that short story I mentioned before? Yeah, it's called Man from the South. And I've used that story before in class and I still believe that he was a master at his art, manipulating the words on the page to weave a tale where the reader is mesmerized and then surprised at its ending. But I think I will always have the artist's anti-Semitic words in the back of my mind. So am I a hypocrite for continuing to read and enjoy the art of a man who believed in things that I so strongly morally oppose? I'm having a hard time with this, guys. Five Little Indians by Michelle Good is about Canada's indigenous people's children who were taken from their parents to forcibly be educated, and I'm putting this word in quotation marks, at a church-run residential school mission in a remote island in Canada in the 1960s. The novel follows the lives of these children, Kenny, Lucy, Clara, Howie, and Maisie, who live and die through their trauma, struggling after they are finally released from the mission. The book's chapter switches narratives from one child, now adult, to the next as they face their own demons with flashbacks to their shared and individual traumas. After leaving the mission, they must all find a place in society and belonging in a world that they are ill-equipped to face. All five of the characters face their own demons of the past as they try to overcome the trauma that the time in the mission induced. Their lives are intertwined not only by their past, but in their futures as they struggle forward in their lives beyond the mission. Now, there is a trigger alert here for those who have faced childhood trauma because although the author and thus the characters never clearly describe the abuse that the boys and the girls faced, it is definitely a focus in the story. Horrific physical and sexual abuse, as well as mental, emotional abuse, haunts the characters and thus the entirety of the novel. The characters' struggles are beautifully told, and my heart hurt for each one of them. As with all stories of children being hurt, I was disgusted and angry. I woke up the morning after reading the first four chapters the first day and I vented my anger with my husband. And as I continued to read the novel the next day, I stopped periodically to release that anger and walk away from it. Mind you, though, I finished this book in two days. 
I couldn't put it down for long. I needed to know that there was a happy ending of sorts at the end of the novel. I laughed out loud, cried out in frustration, and cried tears of sadness and relief as I read this novel. It was definitely cathartic to read. Then researching a bit more outside of the novel of the atrocities that face the indigenous peoples of Canada, I am aware somewhat of the history of atrocities in the U.S. I am no expert, but I try to be better educated in the history of indigenous peoples of the United States. But I hadn't really heard of what happened in Canada. I know that the Nazi party during World War II looked at our Indian reservations and how they were treated to model their detention camps, but it was eerie to read how these children, as young as age six, were taken forcibly from families, hauled to a remote place where they couldn't be easily rescued, with threats of jail for the parents, and then heads shaved with green powder before feeding them as little as possible and beating them. I was so angry and devastated for the families as well as these children. I cheered for their resilience as they stole food and protected one another. I cheered for every little success they were fortunate to make after their release. Spoiler, not all of them make it. But death is treated beautifully in this novel. Rebirth is even more beautiful in the novel. The heart and spirit of the indigenous peoples is weaved beautifully into the storytelling, and what a wonderful journey it was reading this novel. Last month's novel, The Night Portraits Format, having different characters telling their stories made the story choppy and difficult to enjoy for me. This novel was different. There was much more beautiful imagery and nuances. The author's ancestors and Cree background comes through her words and the emotions of the characters were complex with how each dealt with trauma. The ending made me happy with a happy ending as it circled back to the prologue making me want to read it all over again immediately. It was definitely a story that took me on a roller coaster ride. I highly recommend reading this novel even if you don't know about the history of the indigenous people of Canada. It is a heart-wrenching and beautifully told story. Fated for Felony by Victoria Laurie is book 16 in a series about Abby Cooper, a psychic who shares her gifts with the FBI in order to solve cold cases. This is yet another of my guilty pleasures books that I've been reading for years. The reason I picked up this series is because when I used to spend time at the library and bookstores perusing aisles and killing time, I'd spend most of my time in mystery aisles and avoiding horror looking for what I like to call the pastel mysteries. They were aimed towards women like me who loves an easy-to-read mystery with a strong female lead character with witty, punny titles and pastel covers. I mean, Abby Cooper, Psychic Eye, was one of those titles. Listen, she's a psychic and she could work as a P.I. Now that's witty. I've read every book in the series since, following the author and waiting for the next book patiently, devouring them in one day at times when I have had the chance. I followed Abby as she navigated many a skeptic and many a killer as she fell in love with her beau and built her reputation in the bureau to find her calling. Now in this novel, Abby has settled into her life and works for the FBI when a skeptic podcaster, a former detective, calls her abilities to question and challenges her to solve a serial killer case that he himself was not able to solve prior to his retirement. Her whole team's reputation is called 
called to public scrutiny and their livelihood is on the line as they go through Abby's visions and solve the crime. Now, I've been reading these books for years and I've been with Abby since day one, so I am well aware of her process as well as all the characters' quirks and hidden allusions to past characters like MJ Halliday, who is the main character of a spin-off series that I also love, but the author has kind of stopped with those books. But this book deals with a skeptic, so Abby spends much of her time explaining her process and why her psychic abilities are so important in the process of solving these cold cases. Even though I'm well aware of her process, the story felt like a walkthrough of a day in the life of a psychic helping with the hard-to-solve case. And it included Abby's long dissertation type speeches about the importance of her and her team's job in solving these cases. I frequently wondered while reading who the author was trying to convince of Abby's abilities. I mean, as a reader of her novels who has followed her since the beginning, I don't question her abilities at this point or need to be proven the importance of the department she works for in the FBI along with the effective detectives she works alongside. So it seemed a bit preachy at times. But this novel certainly spent an inordinate amount of time explaining her process. I guess the author must want to appeal to a new audience who may be picking up this novel without reading the past 15 in the series. It's been a couple of years since I fully engrossed myself into Abby's world, so it was nice to be with the characters again. The mystery unfolded methodically as usual, and the comfortable pacing of the narrative made this the perfect novel to read in one day. The ending of the story also revealed that there would be a book 17 in the future, so as soon as that that is up for pre-order, you bet I'll be ready to continue my journey with Abby Cooper, Psychic Eye. Fated for Felony by Victoria Laurie is book 16 in the series about Abby Cooper, a psychic who shares her gifts with the FBI in order to solve cold cases. This is yet another of my guilty pleasures books that I've been reading for years. The reason I picked up this series is because when I used to spend time at the library and bookstores perusing aisles and killing time, I'd spend most of my time in mystery aisles and avoiding horror looking for what I like to call the pastel mysteries. They were aimed towards women like me who loves an easy-to-read mystery with a strong female lead character with witty, punny titles and pastel covers. I mean, Abby Cooper, Psychic Eye, was one of those titles. Listen, she's a psychic and she could work as a P.I. Now that's witty. I've read every book in the series since, following the author and waiting for the next book patiently, devouring them in one day at times when I have had the chance. I followed Abby as she navigated many a skeptic and many a killer as she fell in love with her beau and built her reputation in the bureau to find her calling. Now in this novel, Abby has settled into her life and works for the FBI when a skeptic podcaster, a former detective, calls her abilities to question and challenges her to solve a serial killer case that he himself was not able to solve prior to his retirement. Her whole team's reputation is called 
all to public scrutiny and their livelihood is on the line as they go through Abby's visions and solve the crime. Now, I've been reading these books for years and I've been with Abby since day one, so I am well aware of her process as well as all the characters' quirks and hidden allusions to past characters like MJ Halliday, who is the main character of a spin-off series that I also love, but the author has kind of stopped with those books. But this book deals with a skeptic, so Abby spends much of her time explaining her process and why her psychic abilities are so important in the process of solving these cold cases. Even though I'm well aware of her process, the story felt like a walkthrough of a day in the life of a psychic helping with the hard-to-solve case. And it included Abby's long dissertation type speeches about the importance of her and her team's job in solving these cases. I frequently wondered while reading who the author was trying to convince of Abby's abilities. I mean, as a reader of her novels who has followed her since the beginning, I don't question her abilities at this point or need to be proven the importance of the department she worked for in the FBI along with the effective detectives she works alongside. So it seemed a bit bit preachy at times. But this novel certainly spent an inordinate amount of time explaining her process. I guess the author must want to appeal to a new audience who may be picking up this novel without reading the past 15 in the series. It's been a couple of years since I fully engrossed myself into Abby's world, so it was nice to be with the characters again. The mystery unfolded methodically as usual, and the comfortable pacing of the narrative made this the perfect novel to read in one day. The ending of the story also revealed that there would be a book 17 in the future, so as soon as that that is up for pre-order, you bet I'll be ready to continue my journey with Abby Cooper, Psychic Eye. So the three books I read this month gave me much needed mental breaks from my job and worrying about when I would be able to get the COVID vaccine. I've gotten a few more book recommendations from friends and I'm excited to dive into these stories in March. They vary in topics, fiction, and nonfiction, so I'm looking forward to them. Reading helps me mentally reset every day, and I am absolutely enjoying this new habit this year. This month was three books and 1,380 pages, so the book count for 2021 so far. Six books, 1,507 pages. Thank you for listening. I'm not going to